Welcome to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Mike Rodak from ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein Concern. He's here. Yes, I am. Bobby Rosati on the board, as they say. He's potting us up. Give me some word. more lingo. What's what else are we doing? What else are um, you doing right now? Well, I'm uh, I'm putting our I'm making sure our levels Use don't go in the red. Levels, okay. Uh, we don't want to get too hot because then you know mic levels will probably pop too much. You don't want to. You want to pop your peas? I don't. I don't. I, just, I hate that stuff. I hate calling them pots too. That's stupid. But we're all potted up, right? But yeah, now, we're right? all potted all up. I got all the pots up. I got Jonah on a separate dynamic. Uh, you Unpotted. know, potted, whatnot. He's not potted though. So. The puds are potted. I have a feeling that there are some people in this room who have been potted. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I said I had some people in this room. Like a potted plant. Is that clear? I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't inhale. Jonah Bronstein is filming this mess for, well, for us, but it's on Periscope. So you can check it out on the Twitter uh, we retweet the link out. If you want to see a live feed of this or any previous Tim Graham show, you can check it out on Periscope. Eric Wood's going to be on the show a little bit later. We're going to talk about Bill's offensive line signings uh, with a special emphasis uh, on Mitch Morse, his thoughts on the new Bill's center. Finally, a replacement for Eric Wood uh, that they did not have last season. Spencer Long, we'll talk about him too, and obviously uh, Mitch Morse is going to be the center, but Spencer Long was an intriguing signing when he came in, a guy who has started at center in the NFL, a swing player who can back up at that position and also play some guard. Uh, so we're going to get Bill's uh, uh, O-line wisdom from Eric Wood, friend of the show. Also like to ask Eric about his, his thoughts on the running back situation, of course, uh, the offensive line. Always have thoughts on what's happening back there, those lanes that they're clearing for these guys and, and running through them, and, and the work that has to be done for a guy who hits the hole maybe a little slower as he's getting into his dotage. Both uh, Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy, uh, and you've made this point on Twitter before, Mike Rodak, uh, I think they're the two, or are they two of the top th- three or two of the oldest three running backs in the NFL right now. It changes a little bit as guys sign and Chris Ivory's case get released because Ivory is actually older than McCoy by a couple months. But I believe there are two out of the top three right now. Adrian Peterson, I think, is number two behind Gore because Peterson is 34, and I think it's McCoy after that. But they're getting up there. A lot of mileage. Yep. And the Bills bringing in T.J. Yeldon. That's an intriguing visit yesterday. Uh, The former Jacksonville Jaguars running back who – has had some production. He's been slowed by some injuries here and there, but came into the league in 2015 with 1,000 yards from scrimmage in just 12 games. And he's not old. I mean, that's right. that's the thing to remember there is that he's 25. And so. you have to figure that the Bills are going to add a running back in the draft. I'm not so sure. Listening to Brandon Bean, even going back to, I want to say the have 10 picks. Senior Bowl. Yeah, I don't think they'll use all of them, though. I think they'll, they'll trade around. Listening to Brandon Bean, he, he always tends to answer any questions about running backs in the draft very cautiously or compared to some of his other answers he doesn't seem to think based on you know the what's obvious in front of us listening to him that there are good um, running back selections in this draft Uh, well I kind of read it as him uh, a devaluation of the position Position, in that you can get a good one late right and teams prove that every year with guys that are drafted late that end up being productive 
uh, or guys who aren't drafted at all, getting them as uh, undrafted uh, rookies to right. come in and, and produce for you. Well, look, I think even if you sign T.J. Yeldon, he mentioned on Monday that it's an interesting market, I think was the way he put it, and that there are still some names out there on the running back market, which leads me to believe he's looking more towards free agency to fill that hole this year. And you think that if you're keeping LaShawn McCoy, which I think the chances are very good, but I don't think it's guaranteed that he's on this roster week one, um, trade or release. I think if you come into training camp and he's bad, then why not cut him and save $9 million? But if you're assuming he's going to be here, if you're assuming Frank Gore is going to be here, if you're assuming Sonoris Perry is going to be here, who they signed to be a special teams return man, then at most you're talking one more spot. So if you're signing TJ Yeldon, then where's the draft pick going to fit? Or if you're drafting somebody, where's TJ Yeldon going to fit? Or you know whatever combination thereof. So, and you're also going to need whoever your third running back is traditionally uh, plays special teams, right? So that could be Perry on game day. That could be Perry, and then maybe you draft somebody to be the fourth running back, and he's inactive for the entire season. All right, well, we're going to talk to Eric Wood about that. Um, we're going to talk also in the show about the Robert Kraft video. Some uh, developments today in which the prosecutors have said they're going to release the video of him at the uh, rub and tug. And, of course, Robert Kraft and his attorneys have panicked. They filed an emergency motion. Uh, to be heard before a judge before anything is released and that hearing was granted that's going to happen on april 29th but uh a sensational development there are you going to watch this video if it's released i think everybody will i think it's just i think there are people out there who are going to say absolutely not that's disgusting i don't want to see it but journalism I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable enough in my sexuality i yeah i i, I want to check it out just if not for the i mean for it's the, the comedy we cover it. it's a big well, story like i don't know about that now i think you're rationalizing it ah, i'd well. want to do it just for you know how many times will you watch it mike <laughs> you know you might have to rewind it as long just... as it takes jonah well uh well you know i think it's obvious that the police down there, in, by extension, the, the prosecutors, I think, overextended their hand a little bit. I think it's become clear now that there is no human trafficking, at least at that establishment. So it's really just a matter of right. this charge, which at the end of the day is not a big deal, and now they're using this as leverage Robert, to try to get him to plead Robert plead Kraft says he's innocent. So if he's innocent, then what's on this tape that he doesn't want everybody well, to see? Well, it's very strange that they're... Yeah. They're, they're, right? His side I is really sending some mixed messages because his initial statement when it first happened was right. I innocence. And then later on, a couple weeks later, he issued a statement saying, you know, I apologize for my actions. And even within the last week in some of these court filings by his attorneys, they've said what's on tape essentially amounts to pornography. That's their own words, which seems to admit that there was an action that happened. Now, yeah. they could argue that it is pornographic, that there was sexual contact, but it wasn't illegal, that there wasn't Pornography money. is not illegal. Right, that there wasn't money exchanged. Um, so, I don't know. Their, their stories are... They're trying to do technicalities, right, at this right. point. Right. I mean, if, if they're How arguing the so, the tape and whatnot. so strongly to keep this out of the public eye, then obviously there's a, a level of guilt or shame that would... Um, Mm -hmm. belie a 
an admission or not an admission, but a um, a statement. Of, You're derailing of this with facts and reason. Uh, I just wanted to know if people are going to watch it. Of course they are. It's it's. it's hey, look, I, I listened like to Howard Stern. Kim Kardashian sex tape. I love. Well, that's a little different. I mean, you that, want there's to see there's that. some appeal to that. I mean, on a base on a basic level, whatever you think of Kim Kardashian, I don't think you can compare Kim Kardashian to Robert Kraft. Well, especially among the four guys maybe this in this is, room. Maybe this is a better example, and I'll play devil's advocate and say somebody who doesn't want to watch it. If this was obtained illegally, which is what his attorneys are arguing, that there wasn't legal grounds to, for this to be filmed, then wouldn't it be similar to viewing the tape that was made of Aaron Andrews illegally through the peephole of that Marriott that was obtained illegally by that person filming it? Or those pictures of uh, J-Law. Or anybody who's been a, a victim of the iCloud, I um, I the photos not. that have come out, for instance... Yeah, uh, but Justin law Verlander didn't film that stuff. But the argument is that law enforcement did it illegally. Right. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the argument. But if it comes out, and that was hey, a look, big scandal. I mean, again, I just want to make the point. Aaron Andrews practically owns Marriott because of that. I don't think that's true. Well, she's still got like fifty million dollars in those lawsuits. So, not that Mar- Do you know Marriott's, how much Marriott's probably a lot, lot <laughs> worth a lot more than that. But still, I mean, that's pretty good money to get out of that, and rightfully so. But that—that's. I think you're comparing. Apples to pineapples. Cucumbers. Peaches? Cucumbers. Uh, see, now you went too far there. I wasn't trying to do a sexual innuendo joke there. Neither was I. I was just thinking of fruit. I'll bet you were. Mm. Well. The point I was going to make is, just in terms of whether or not people are going to say and recoil, absolutely I'm not going to watch that. That's disgusting. As somebody who listens to Howard Stern every day, I'm a, I'm a religious listener to it. You have heard and listened to and seen on his videos and the, the ideas way worse than this yeah. of what people are willing to come and do on camera. Probably and, daily. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> so the idea of how can you, uh, how, uh, you're, 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 you must be a sick individual to want to, no, I'm, I'm no. a curious individual. I, yeah, I want to yeah. see what Robert Kraft was up to. Well, you're not going to go. Uh, I mean, most likely not going to go buy a prostitute and in, in, engage in a illegal activity. So you want to see how it's done, right? That's right. I'm Except a journalist. Most likely, there's a reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's a reason I'm a journalist. It's because I have a natural curiosity. Yeah. The real news of the day. Eight o'clock tonight, Eastern Time. Uh-oh. The NFL is going to release its schedule. Do we care about this? As I no. said before, it's the third most intriguing thing to be released this week after the Mueller report and what would have been the Robert Kraft video, which now has been postponed. I understand that fans out there like to plan their their years and make you know see what road trip they want to go in, jump on certain flights, and book their hotels and things like that. But this is classic NFL hyping up its product and turning it into news. This didn't. You, this money. is oh the money that they're making off this. They used to just release the schedule, send it out in a press release, and now it's a show on the NFL Network. Surprise! They don't do it like one week every day. Week one schedule, week two schedule. Well, because then you'd be able to figure it out, I guess, after eventually weeks were released. And the you know the, the networks want to release the prime time games, so they those are all going to be announced in a in a uh, a big chunk. ESPN is going to have its Monday night schedule. NBC is going to have its Sunday which night there schedule. Are reports out there that the Bills could be playing on Thanksgiving. 
But this as a news event, do we care? I mean, I know that there are fans out there that are got the Jimmy leg going all day today because it's schedule day. Just can't wait for this thing to get released. But how many people like that do you think are out there? I mean, do you think it's a um, judging it, by Twitter today? It there seems are like a lot. everybody. Is it a majority? Yeah, yeah. is I, it? There's a lot to what you mentioned before: planning a trip to a road game, or people want to know example, where the Miami game is. People so they coming can home, see, right? Yeah. It's the game right before Thanksgiving, the, or right the, the analysis, Thanksgiving weekend game. And people predicting the schedule and trying to put the puzzle pieces together a day beforehand. Like, why would you waste your brain power? There is a that? Nashville trip this year, which Bills fans always like. Um, I mean, judging by the leaks, quote unquote, that are out there, and you know, believe the leaks if you want. But it sounds like the Bills are going to play their first two games at MetLife Stadium, which is strange. Um, one against the Jets, and then one against the Giants before they come home against the Bengals has been reported by. Uh, Manish Mehta in New York. Of course, look, let me go on a rant for 30 seconds here. I do not understand the obsession Can in you Buffalo. you do it without banging the table? I mean, I know the banging the table actually adds to it. I, I think it does. You know what? Go ahead. Bang the table. What do I care? I don't understand the obsession in Buffalo about wanting to be known as the only team in New York. Why does it matter? Like, every single time that somebody says – the Bills are going to New York to play the Jets or going to New York to play the Giants or MetLife Stadium's in New York. Bills fans are always jumping on the fact that they're in New Jersey. I don't care. I don't. I, why is it so important to be known as the only team in New York? It doesn't matter. It's pointless. It's a very Ask strange point of pride. Uh, not, look how that went for them. I mean, people want to be known as Buffalo. And it's, it's weird because in a lot of cases, people in Buffalo don't want to be associated with the rest of New York. Yeah, you know, people in Buffalo do get up get upset if people even refer to it as upstate New York. Right. They get down it, they parse everything it's out. Western New York. And they don't want to be connected with New York City or Long Island. So why are you so concerned about being known as the only team in New York? Just let the Jets be known as the New York Jets and the New York Giants. The fact that they're in New Jersey, who the hell cares? It doesn't matter. Like northern New Jersey is right next to New York City. Like I, I think everybody knows this. It's it is New York. It's fair to call that New York. So I just don't get it. I, I, I've seen it a bunch of times today. I just don't get it, and I I, I wish it would stop. Phone lines are open, that. 270-1270, if you're in the 716 area code. Outside, outside the listening area, 716-270-1270. Eric Wood's going to be joining us in the next segment. We're going to have more uh, NBA talk. NBA playoffs are going on. We have Jonah Bronstein here. He knows how to break them down. We can break down the Golden State Warriors breakdown. Huh? Historic collapse. The boogie list. Bo- right. Boogie list. Not only to blow a 31-point lead, but also to lose DeMarcus Cousins. In the process, what do you think that? I mean, just quickly because we're going to go to a break. But just as a, as a teaser for when we get into it later, how, how much trouble are the Golden State Warriors in? I don't think they're in much trouble. He's a good player, and you know, he, he helped them when he was out there. But I don't think because they signed Andrew Bogut, they're getting some good play from Kevin Looney. They can play without Demarcus Cousins. They played half the season without him. They won championships without him before that. I don't think they're in any sort of dire straits because he's not there. But he was one of their five All-Stars, and now they're back down to only four All-Stars. So, yeah, they're in big trouble. They only have four All-Stars to put out there at a time. 
All right, we're going to talk about that and much, much more when we come back. Eric Wood, former Buffalo Bills center. He has a podcast called What's Next with Eric Wood. He's three episodes in. It's really good. He's a he's an excellent interviewer. So far, he's had uh, Richie Incognito on, which was quite revealing. Country music star Michael Ray. Fred Jackson's been on. So he spreads it around a little bit. It's not just his old Bills teammates. Um, we're going to talk to Eric Wood about that. Bill's free agency, Bill's draft, the running back situation. On the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. He was in for the drinks and the skirts, allegedly. <laughs> chasing, chasing drinks and skirts. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Mike Rodak, ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. The un- of the, yeah, from unathletic.com. <laughs> Bobby Rosati handling the, the work, really. Our next guest, stacks of wax. I don't know if he knows this or not, and I know that everything is uh, geared towards what you do on Twitter um, and who you follow and things. So when you do searches, the autofill that you get. So I went to uh, Twitter today and typed in EW so I could go right to his feed because I wanted to see what uh, what our next guest has been talking about, what he's been into on Twitter in the past few days, couple of weeks. So I type in EW, and the autofill comes up, not Eric Wood first. Claudine Ewing came up first. Oh. I don't interact with Claudine <laughs> Ewing, and I follow Claudine Ewing. She follows me, but I thought, you know, Eric Wood and I actually retweet some stuff on occasion. I don't know, and Eric Wood was second, but I found this interesting. Eric Wood comes ahead of somebody I don't follow. Elizabeth Warren. Really? Yes. And even oh, more, e- oh, even more okay. fascinating than this. Got it. Fourth on the list is... EWTN? At EW. <laughs> Who? Entertainment Weekly. Oh. <laughs> Eric Wood ranks higher than EW. <laughs> then that's all it is, is EW. Apparently. It is Presidential EW. candidate. You're just not that interested in it. So Eric Wood is... Uh, He's an important guy, and he's joining the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Eric, thanks for doing it. Yeah, what an intro that was. Thank you very much. You are two spots ahead of EW. You you are the, well, you're ahead. And Claudine Ewing, is her first two letters of her last name is just EW. Ew. So EWs, you're first ahead of Elizabeth Warren and Entertainment Weekly. Nice. You have to find a way to use that. Uh, to promote your podcast, What's New with Eric Wood. I've enjoyed it. It's been good. You are an excellent interviewer. Have you taken any uh, instruction on how to conduct an interview through your work that you've done and your tryouts? And uh, I know that you've kind of dipped your toe into the broadcasting realm. Uh, Have you gotten any kind of um, any help in that regard? Um, let me first say what it's called. What's next with Eric Wood? Not what a did big I deal, but what did I say? You said what's new. Oh, what's uh, next with Eric Wood? I'm sorry. Confuse anybody. We're we're uh, 
we're in such infancy stage. I don't want to confuse anybody right I, now. But I have it written no. right here. What's next with Derek Wood? I'm staring at it right now on my screen, and yet I still botched it. So I hope that you've gotten more instruction than I have in how to do this. That's funny. No, you know, I haven't um, had any schooling on it, never really uh, had any formal suggestions or, or teaching with it. Now, you know, for years, starting in college and then especially in the NFL, you're doing interviews almost every day. So something, uh, you know, I was just kind of on autopilot for so many years answering questions. And then maybe towards the end of my career and then especially over the last year, I've kind of paid attention to, well, what makes me like how this guy interviews me or well you know what makes this him more enjoyable and a lot of times it's someone that's really informed it's not like the uh, has anyone ever told you, you look like bad santa and something else it's a guy that like when you come on their show or they you know similar to what you did today get on my twitter see what's been up with new with me and get up and promote my podcast so you bring it up early and, and that shows that you took the time to prepare so when i get a guy on like I just had Fred Jackson on the podcast. Well, I could have went back through and just rehashed a bunch of Bill's memories that we had. And, you know, but I, I tried to look for something new that I didn't know about Fred. And I found this story about him and his wife hustling people over in Europe, playing poker when he was in the NFL Europe to basically scrounge for money for meals and how good uh, his wife Danny is at poker. And to me, I was hoping that that showed Fred, like, because Fred never told me that story. So I was hoping that showed him that. I really cared enough about the interview to prep for it and, and take the time. And then, and then obviously what has helped me tremendously is being able to see people. So, you know, with Fred, we weren't together. Everybody else, I was doing it face-to-face. Fred, we weren't. And, but we did the Skype so that I could see his face, and, and that video will never be released. Um, but what it did was I could kind of tell when he was digging me, um, maybe going in a certain direction, and, um, other than just being sure of an answer, I could tell by his facial expression and everything else, okay, let's let's move on from this. He's not quite as into this. What's next with Eric Wood? I'm going to say it extra times now to uh, I appreciate as, penance, that. as penance for uh, botching it the first time. Uh, Richie Incognito was your first guest. I found it to be a fascinating interview because he's obviously lived a fascinating life, and you were behind the scenes with him for some of that, at least – not what happened down in Miami and the Jonathan Martin bullying scandal, but you spent years with him uh, in the Buffalo Bills locker room and saw the guy and uh, in many ups and downs. Uh, and it was also your first podcast. I know you had an introductory podcast, but this was your first interview. Mm-hmm. How did you prepare for that, knowing who Richie was and also maybe dealing with uh, any kind of stress having it be your, your first time? Yeah, so um, me and Richie were were very close up in Buffalo. You know, probably my best friend who I spent the most time with outside of my family uh, was Richie. And then, you know, even when he was down in Miami, we had the same agent. So, you know, I would see him at Super Bowl and our athletes' first golf tournament and all that, uh, kind of right in the middle of the Miami deal. We split a bottle of tequila on the golf course uh, out in Orange County. And afterwards, I, I realized that probably wasn't the best idea for either of us, but especially uh, kind of poking a bear in that sense, but, but it was new in our relationship, but, um, you know, what so happened? It, well, we, I mean, there was just some, uh, verbal confrontations leaving the golf course and, um, nothing extreme, nothing that ever made headways, but, um, you know, I, I didn't understand the extent of, you know, he was just struggling with some stuff and, um, I had one of close to the pin for a bottle of tequila. I'm carrying it off the golf course. Hey, let's split it. Sure. Um, 
and uh you know i think i was 24 at the time maybe and um so i just ended up really drunk he got a little confrontational but um <laughs> regardless i digress a little bit there no you but, didn't digress uh, i asked you specifically those questions which i think makes it the opposite of digressing are you guys like just right. swigging it right out of the bottle like a couple old cowboys out on the trail that's exactly how we work you know no no glasses no nothing warm you know there's a tequila company out there uh promoting their brand so um you know we uh we just went straight at the bottle um and um but getting and, back and i'm to asking this not to <laughs> sensationalize it eric but what was the thing that triggered it uh, in terms of any kind of and you don't have to get into that part of it but i think you, this is when you're first realizing that you know who Richie is, and and what I mean, and and he's been open about it. So, like, at what point, uh, you know, two normally, uh, well, sober guys might be able to have a certain conversation. But what, what do you recall? What it was that really sent things sideways? I I don't exactly. You know, that was maybe nine years ago now, and and I I, I truly don't. I just remember afterwards realizing. Um, you know, Richie's going through some stuff right now. And, um, like I said, I, I felt like I kind of poked the bear in that moment, right. but, um, over you never years, know what somebody's got, going through. Right. And me and Richie got really close, um, through his time in Buffalo. And, um, initially when he was going down a similar path with, um, his dad passing in the racial incident in Jacksonville and Jonathan Martin stuff resurfacing, and all that kind of was triggering, I think, some stuff in him again. Uh, you know, I went through a lot with him and, you know, was constantly reaching out. I was constant communication with his parents and all that. Well, you know, eventually I kind of had to just pull away. You know, he's, he's on the West Coast. He's out in Arizona and Vegas, and I'm over in Louisville. There's not a whole lot I can do, and I'm investing so much into this. So, um, you know, we didn't speak for a long time, and uh, I, I hadn't seen him in about a year when I saw him out in Arizona. And, uh, but prior to that, we had spoke on the phone maybe a month earlier and I didn't know who exactly I wanted to be my first guest on my podcast. Um, you know, I was thinking of guys like, I wanted to start off with a bang, but I also didn't want to waste somebody before I got my interview skills down. So like Jim Kelly would be incredible. Um, he's got such an awesome story. Um, and I would love to share with everybody from my perspective too, having lost a brother myself and he lost a son. We've always had this close connection, but I didn't want to kind of waste that on a on me not being a great interviewer, and I would probably have to do it over the phone. I wanted to do some in person, so I was going out to Arizona for a bachelor party, and um, out at uh, Waste Management Open. So I, I had asked him, "Hey, do you want to be my first guest on my podcast?" Um, Richie is doing extremely well now, and I said I want to promote that because, um, and I want to let you control the message. And um, so we had a lot of fun recording it. Hung out all weekend, and it was it was just like the old days. He, you know, in control, sharp as a tack. I mean, if you've ever hung out with, and I know that you guys have both interviewed him and spent a good amount of time with him. He's just so smart, and and he truly is a great, genuine dude. Um, and so it was awesome to see him back like that. And I think through the podcast, he allowed himself to be, um, he he allowed himself to show what kind of shape he's in now mentally and then seeing him physically he looks good too we're in conversation with former bill center eric wood host of what's next with eric wood also a columnist at the athletic hopefully you get a chance to keep doing that uh, when the season kicks up again um eric 
What are your thoughts? Let me, well, we'll quickly say that you just mentioned what great shape Richie Incognito's in. And as we transition here, I want to ask you about the Bills free agent signings. But Richie would like to give it another run. Um, I think that uh, he's somebody who has realized in my conversations with him, even before he retired, that you only get so many chances, you know, you only get so many years. Uh, and you need to maximize it, which is why I was so shocked when he did retire. I mean, there were a bunch of reasons why you, sh- you could be shocked when, when Richie retired after restructuring his contract and then all of a sudden deciding he didn't want to. And, of course, he was going through some difficult things then. But, um, but I know this is a guy who who realizes that the window's closing. Uh, what are your thoughts? And the Bills have, have told me that they are not interested in re-signing Richie. Uh, because of his age, and there's there's other reasons, and his head needs to be in the right place. What are your thoughts on what he might or what he has to do to uh, to actually pull this off? You know, I, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it's um, you know, well, let's not go down this rabbit hole again. You saw what happened in Buffalo; kind of, he had great years, but then it blew up in the end. It, um, it was tumultuous at the end. Um, it would probably take someone that's been around him. Um, you know, he's got a line coach that he played for that, that loved him, that would probably love to bring him in. Now, those aren't GMs, so um, I don't know that they would have the pull to do it. And, and when Richie comes in, there's a certain amount of media that comes with it, and the bullying stuff resurfaces, and then whatever else baggage comes with it, as far as the media circus goes, it's not quite like a Tim Tebow effect, but, you know, guys got to answer questions for it, and GM and all those guys, you know, they, they might not want to deal with that, but Richie is, he's, I guess he's going to be 36 this fall, but he's been out of the league a couple of years during that time since college, and he's just so big and strong. He doesn't take the normal dings and injuries that guys get. He's, he's just made to play football. So he's got, he's got some uh, tread on his tires left. I still think he can play. I still think he can be an asset for a team. Um, I just don't know that there's going to be, well, I, I do know that there's not a lot of teams that are lining up beating his door down to sign him. Um, but hopefully maybe a Chrome around in um, L.A. or a Pat Meyer, who he played for um, as well in Buffalo, who's the head of the line coach at the other L.A. team, L.A. Chargers, uh, maybe one of them give him a shot, um, but I'm not sure. But I, but I do know, um, and me and Richie talked about this, if he gets in great shape again and he doesn't get an opportunity, at least he's retiring and walking away in great shape but not kind of a downward spiral Um you know, getting bigger and, um, you know, drinking or too much or whatever it may be. Um, it was so good to see him in a healthy place. You mentioned uh, Cromer and Meyer. Another name that came to mind for me was Jim Turner, who just got a, a job with the uh, the Bengals, who had been his coach in Miami. Do you know where their relationship is at after everything that happened down there? I'm honestly not sure. Um, I didn't connect those dots. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um I'm honestly not sure. Eric, uh, let's talk about the Bills offseason signings because uh, obviously they've uh, made a big push on the offensive side of the ball and along the line in particular. Uh, Your thoughts on Mitch Morse? I think it's a great signing. You know, you got got a quarterback in his second year, so um, he's going to be on a smaller deal. For a couple of years, you can overpay a guy up front. You can overpay at a few positions right now, and I'm glad they did it at center. Um, you know, they needed a guy that could step in there and be the true leader, 
Um, you, I'm not saying this from my perspective. You heard Bean and McDermott both say it. Since mine and Richie's departure, there was a there wasn't a lot of leadership up front. Which, if you got Peyton Manning or Tom Brady behind you, is one thing. But you know, when you got a young quarterback, you want some solid leadership up front. And I, and I think Mitch will bring that. I haven't spent a lot. Of, I haven't spent any time around him personally. This is all hearsay at this point. I look forward to meeting him and maybe spending some time with him in the spring. But um, I'm excited to have a leader in front of Josh Allen, someone that he can grow with, someone who can help him out, who's played a bunch of ball. Um, so I love that signing, and, and he's a good football player uh, on top of that. Maybe a great football player. So uh, great signing there. Um, kind of reminds me, now Matt Ryan was fairly long in his year, but signed, like when uh, Atlanta signed Alex Mack, they had struggled on the line for a couple years. Well, you solidify the center position, and sometimes um, solidifying it on the inside out um, can be a good way of going about it. The Bills have tried to double down at that position. Even before Mitch Morse was signed, they went after Spencer Long, the former Jets center. So he has experience starting there, and a lot of Bills fans got nervous that that was the answer, or that that's what the Bills thought was going to be the answer at center, and they were they almost revolted. But now when you take a look at it, uh, Russell Bodine's still on the roster, but what they have at center in terms of a depth chart uh, do you see? Does that tell you anything, uh, or or a tip a hand as to maybe w- what their thoughts are on this offensive line moving forward? Yeah, it, it truly looks like they want to build from the inside out, and uh, they're taking the center position very serious. And um, shoot, I mean, Brandon Bean told me he goes, the one guy, the first guy I gave an extension to was you, and um, you know he he saw the value of the center position. So I know that regime um, respects a good center. Um, so yeah, now they have three guys with experience at the middle. Um, likely, uh, Spencer will compete at guard, I'd imagine. But, but what they've done is they've added so many bodies up front and they're going to get a ton of competition. There's a lot of guys that have played ball in that room, which is valuable. And nowadays, and, and besides Mitch, you know, maybe none are superstar signings, but in, in the NFL nowadays, you need five guys that are smart, that have experience, that are capable. And or maybe a few, and then you then you put in your young, talented guys around those guys. But it's just hard to find good old linemen with experience and get them on your roster nowadays because guys are coming out so inexperienced from college in the sense that they haven't played with their hand in the dirt. It's hard for them to transition. Where um, I like what the Bills did as far as just getting bodies in there, guys that have played at at least a fairly productive level throughout their career. How much of the running game struggles last year. I mean, the Bills were probably 30th, I think, they finished in, in rushing offense um, in terms of yards per carry. How much of that was related to the offensive line in your mind versus the backfield? And what do you think of some of the changes that have been made there? Obviously, Chris Ivory being replaced by Frank Gore. They just brought in T.J. Yeldon for a visit and, and obviously still have a Sean McCoy. Yeah, you know... Any any time you go um, from some of the production we had to the drop off, um, it's not necessarily going to be one thing. So yes, the offensive line did struggle some in the run game last year. You know, I think having a rookie quarterback that at times wasn't as respected, and especially when they had Peterman in there, quarterback, they're not as respectful of the passing game. Um, and then you have a new scheme that guys are trying to learn and get used to, running backs and O line included, plus fullback tight ends. You know, I think it was cumulative. Um, but I think the moves surely show um, what Bean thought of the uh, offensive line last year, that it needed to be 
essentially completely revamped, um, which, you know, I respect. And and I respect the fact that this regime does not sit around and say, well, let's see if it changes next year or, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just deal with it and let's, let's go pay, you know, a, a big time receiver or whatever it may be. I love how seriously they're taking the offensive line, which, which in front of a young quarterback, hopefully will pay off huge for them this year. We're in conversation with the uh, the most significant EW on Twitter, Eric Wood, former Bills center and host of <laughs> What's Next with Eric Wood. Uh, I, I want to I, I just just popped into my head, Eric, and I don't know that I've ever heard this question. Uh, po- Richie Incognito hasn't done many interviews, um, but I don't think I've ever heard this question specifically posed to you. We people talking about how much adjustment that the Bills offensive line had to go through losing both you and Richie last year, and that's obvious, two starters, guys who've been to the Pro Bowl. But how much does it compound the issue when it's the center and the guard and a guy right next to him as opposed to a right guard and a left tackle or, um, or, a, or a center and, and the left tackle? Uh, that they, it was two guys who work right there next to each other, and you pull them out. How much more, uh, I guess, exponential was what? What is? I'm spitting out a question here, but what's the impact of two guys who are veterans and knew what they were doing at that spot, playing right next to each other, just being extracted? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and and I I don't know exactly because you know. I'm trying to compare it to if, if the you know at times last year the Cowboys played without Travis Frederick and Tyron Smith their left tackle in their center, and they struggled at times there too. So, you know I don't know if it was solely the fact that we were right next to each other, but you know Richie helped out Dion a lot, and Richie helped him out with his mentality and his attention to detail and assignments, and and a lot of times that'll happen with a young guy in the NFL. You know when I was when I was a rookie. You know, I knew what I was doing, but Brad Butler, who played next to me at right, right tackle, and Jeff Hangard in center, you know, they, they helped me with all the little tiny nuances that I just didn't know without playing in the NFL. Well, you take that away from Dion last year, and I think that hurt his game some. And you pull me away from Vlad or John Miller or any of those guys who I played next, with, next to, and I'm kind of doing the same thing for them. And when you pull that out of there, and these guys don't have the same relationship. And I think one thing that hurt them so much is that they had their centers go through a competition all through fall. Well, no one could step up. You know, the center's generally the leader of the room. He's the most vocal. That's, that's just kind of how it works. Well, and he makes all the calls to the line of scrimmage. You want a guy who can kind of command a room, especially when he's only got a split second on the field to make these decisions. He just got – me and Richie talked about it on the podcast. When you got to have a center that, even if he's not right, he thinks he's right, he knows he's right, and everyone just goes on the same page, and then it ends up working out. Well, last year they had these guys go through, they had Roy and Bodine go through this competition. Well, then no one's stepping up and leading the room because no one feels like they have a voice. And I think that hurt him as well because um, no one, it's hard to hold a guy accountable and say, hey, your footwork needs to be like this. You need to make this call. You need to watch this film. You need to do this. And then them say, well, are you even my center? Are you even the starting guy? Yeah, it's uh, it's something that you hear an awful lot. Uh, <laughs> I hesitate to compare, but it just comes to mind when I used to cover the National Hockey League, and some of the greatest leaders in the room were sometimes the enforcers, but they played right. two minutes a game. 
So you couldn't go talk to them after a game. They weren't on the ice. You know, they, you, so you'd want to get what Rob Ray's thought was on how this game or why the locker room isn't or why they're struggling or whatever, and he's not the guy to ask. Or when right. I covered the Dolphins, one of the smartest guys in that locker room was Jay Feely, but he was the kicker. And anytime I'd interview Jay Feely, and he was a leader, but anytime I'd interview Jay Feely about the, the Dolphins, who that season were going 1-15, uh, the other players would pull me aside and say, why are you talking to the kicker? So, yeah, you, it, it does happen. Like, guys do actually f- factor in, are you playing or are you not? Are you on the field or are you not? And if you're not, then I don't, I don't have, I have a tendency not to listen to you. For sure. And, and you see it, and, and then at times it doesn't even matter how old you are. You know, Josh Allen, it appeared last year, was, you know, maybe the top leader on the offense, and he's a rookie, but he's your starting quarterback, and once he became the guy and it was evident, well, then you just naturally get a voice. Eric Wood, host of the What's Next with Eric Wood podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us. But before I let you go, Eric, I have to let you know, from a player's standpoint, or not to let you know, but to to ask you, schedule reveals tonight. It's a huge to-do. Fans are just gnawing at their fingernails. Do, do the players care beyond – I mean, how, how much do the pay, the players pay attention to the schedule once it's out? Yeah, so when we were looking at the schedule, you know, you want to know who you play against early. You know, you're going to get everybody healthy at the beginning of the year. So if you play like – we're not going to, but if you play at the Rams, you're like, okay, we're definitely getting Aaron Donald, you know, someone like that. Um, in Buffalo, I like to play – you know, you always want to get the guys the, – the, the late – home games, so you play them in the cold and all that, but I also liked having home games early when the weather's super nice in Orchard Park, and I hated going to Miami early in the season when it was going to be just a scorcher, but you know, I was always looking for primetime games, and we didn't have many outside the Thursday night games, but I was looking for primetime games, and then I was looking at the Thursday night game and seeing when um, that was going to hit. Earlier in the year is easier on your body. We've talked about this before, Tim. I almost liked the later one because I felt like I took care of my body well enough where I could catch an edge on some guys later in the year, um, but that was pretty selfish on my part. But hey, screw um, it. Hey, it, it, yeah. if everybody else thought your way, then you wouldn't have wouldn't have to worry about it. For sure. And then um, I was also always checking out when the bye week was. So um, you know, too early of a bye in the season makes for a really long second half of the season. You know, body wise, you get that week off before you really need it, and then you just. You know, the ding stockpile. You know, every game you kind of get dinged up with something, and then they just stockpile when you don't get that week off a little bit later in the year. Probably perfect bye weeks kind of right around the midpoint of the year because when you add in the preseason games, it's it's a little past the midway point. But um, as an outsider looking in now, um, you know, I'm kind of looking at, well, I'll be able to catch the Bills in Nashville, and, um, you know, I'll be looking at when all the home games are for – my flights and bites have been up in Buffalo and all that. Obviously, I would love to see them host another Monday night game or a Sunday night game. Last year for the Patriots was a ton of fun, uh, even though the game didn't work out. Coming up for Thurman's deal was great. So little different perspective now. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on and giving us your thoughts. And uh, everybody who's listening, check out What's Next with Eric Wood. It's uh, three uh, editions so far. Richie Incognito was the first guest, but don't think that it's just former Bills. He had country music star Michael Ray on. Also uh, was one of, I should say, let me say that slowly, as for people who don't listen to country music, it's not Michael Rayon. He had on the show Michael Ray. 
You know, Michael Rayon, yep. it sounds like he'd be like a uh, Funkadelic or something, right? Yeah. Michael Rayon. He'd be different. Yeah, I'm kind of trying to go back and forth between Bill's guys and either Louisville or Country or whatever it may be. Um, maybe every other one for Bill's guys. At some point, it might, get, it might lean heavily towards the Bill's crowd. Um, it was funny. In my on the Richie episode, seven percent of the viewing audience was Canada, so a lot of um, right across the lake. But it was crazy how many Bills fans uh, tuned into that, which was incredible and awesome and, and not surprising. But I could believe how many were over in Canada, even uh, just how many Bills fans over there tuned in. So that was great. Eric. You can sit back and think, you know what? That Toronto series was good for something. <laughs> it helped my podcast. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Eric Wood, former Bills Center, joining us. Thanks again, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Yep, thanks, guys. All right, when we come back, more Robert Kraft talk, NBA playoff talk, more Bills schedule. we got all kinds of Bills talk. Maybe the Sabres will have announced who their next head coach is before the end of the show. <laughs> that and more on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I'm having a hard time speaking over Barry White. I want to let him keep going. This is how I picture Nate Oaks singing. This is the audio from the Robert Crabb video. <laughs> Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I am Tim Graham here with Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein LLC, Bobby Rosati on the board, potting us up. What are we vaping today, Bobby? Speaking of potting us up, uh, some different stuff. I ran out of my prickly berry. I had to go to um, butterscotch in a, an emergency flavor. It's uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Watermelon. It's water. Butterscotch just a plain watermelon. and watermelon. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Why don't you it's just have one flavor? Why do you always insist on mixing? Because it's I have one here at the station, one in my car, one at you know a couple at home. So if I'm somewhere and it runs out and I forgot to do it, then I just you know I'm not going to wait till I get home. What if you don't do it? Like what will happen to? You? Will you start convulsing? If I don't fill it. If you don't smoke it. Yeah, I'll convulse. I'll fall, I'll fall on the floor and start uh, drooling. No, I yes. Uh, do it as much as you want during the show because I wouldn't have the first idea as to how to bail you out. Yeah, no, I um, no, I, I don't, I don't know. Actually, kind of a weird, weird thing. Just a, it's like a new age cigar, kind of. You know, uh, it's it's it, you know what I mean. It's more of like it's something to do. Have you ever? You, it's uh, not a good idea. Have you ever hookahed? Yeah, not a fan. No, no. I think it's stupid. Hooking. I've done it. Well, vaping's Once. dumb too. Like I don't, I'm not Many necessarily. Like, Yo, you gotta, but it's just like some kind of something else to do, type thing. That sounds bad, but you do it because you need to do it. At this point, <laughs> <laughs> you know what we need to do? We need to hear from Jonah Bronstein yes, on the NBA do. playoffs. Golden State, oh. give us a uh, diagnosis, or how about this, a prognosis on the Golden State Warriors after losing a game while blowing a 31-point lead and losing DeMarcus Cousins for the rest of the postseason? Well, I think they're going to win the next game and probably win the series over the Clippers in five games. I don't really think losing game two, even the fact that they blew that lead, is going to affect how they play in the short term. 
we talked earlier losing DeMarcus Cousins. He's a good player. It's not like this is something they're not going to miss at all. But they signed Andrew Bogut back after the All-Star break, after he had played in Australia and kind of got his game back and looks like he's in really good shape. So he'll get some more minutes. They got a young player, Kevin Looney, that's playing pretty well. So I think they have some depth to replace DeMarcus Cousins, who, oh, by the way, they won the last two titles without him anyways. But there's issues with the Golden State Warriors that have nothing to do with DeMarcus Cousins getting hurt or really losing this game or that were maybe manifest a little bit in that game. The chemistry, the dynamic with Kevin Durant, whether he's leaving, it looked like they froze him out a little bit in that third quarter. I don't think that's why they blew the lead, but it was happening. And they're going to probably play the Houston Rockets in the next round, which, depending on who you ask, might be the two best teams in the league, or at least the team that people think has the best chance of beating the Warriors. And not that they're not playing their best basketball, but there's – Bad vibes, I think, around that team in terms of the Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, whether they're getting along, the impending free agency of Kevin Durant, also Clay Thompson. Uh, Kevin Durant not really fitting into the offense this year as much as he did last the last two years. And I think that could come to a head against a Houston team that had a poor start to the season but is really – playing well and really has hit their stride coming into the playoffs. I know that this is getting us out of the playoff mentality or mindset when I ask this question, but let's take a look at the post or the uh, off season for Golden State just while we the things that you just mentioned. What do you think a adjustment phase will look like for Golden State? Once they decide we can't continue to keep doing it the way we've been doing it with all of these big names and and of course money becomes a consideration at some point. What do you think the next version of the Golden State Warriors will look like? Well, it could look a lot like the team that won 73 games. The Warriors aren't going to break up this summer because management or the Golden State Warriors organization doesn't want to keep paying all these players, doesn't want to have four or five all-stars on the roster. What's going to happen is it's almost it's a pretty open secret that Kevin Durant's going to sign with the Knicks. It's almost as certain as it was that LeBron was going to sign with the Lakers. Clay Thompson, also a free agent. I don't think he's going to leave, but if they prioritize bringing back Durant or something, it could happen where he gets a better offer and decides to leave maybe for the Lakers. I, I think he'll be back in Golden State. DeMarcus Cousins is probably gone. A bigger issue than what that injury means for the Warriors is really what it means for DeMarcus Cousins' free agency. Two years in a row. And possibly that could lead to him coming back if there's a depressed market and he has to take $5 million again because the Warriors can't pay him any more than that, really, or $6 million. I wonder what the excitement of having the new arena will do for anybody's decision as to whether or not it's time to, time to leave or I want to resign and... You know, you get to play in a brand new arena with the fan base and it, you know, all the gadgets and the and the hype and the electricity, and it's going to be it's going to go from being a what was known eight years ago as one of the grittier organizations in the NBA. Yeah, their headquarters is in the Marriott in, in Oakland. But the Warriors Oakland. players right. have always loved playing in Oracle and in that arena True, where they don't play music, they're it's old be a, style. But they're about they're on the verge, and they kind of are already because of how good they are and the superstars that they have on their team, but uh, of being a glamour franchise. and uh, Like what the Heat turned into when LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh were all down there. And what I'm meaning by this, and, and maybe I'm out of correct me if I'm wrong, but I always get the sense that playing in Oakland um, – kept them I don't want to say humbled but it just it the reputation was always mitigated by the fact that hey they play in Oakland and they're in this rundown building 
and it's right off the interstate, and Oakland's got a certain pride to it. Now they're going to San Francisco. They're going to be on the water, and it's going to be a brand-new sparkling facility with all the latest technology, that plus all these superstars, or what Barclays was when it first opened. It turned into a little bit of a glamour thing. The Nets were really good for a little bit, and it, you know, it got, had some chic. It's, there's going to be a chic atmosphere to being not only on the Warriors, but a Warriors fan. Yeah, well, I think it's going to change the crowd and, and the fan experience. I've never been to a game at Oracle, but just from what I've seen on TV, that's going to be different. I don't think it's going to have a big effect on the product on the floor and the players and how they play. I don't know if you were insinuating that maybe that would allow them to get free agents. They're capped out. If they lose Kevin Durant, no, they I can't meant the replace guys him. that they might lose will be like, "Hey, I've been here through that. I want to go play at least another season while we get this new arena and let's you know have a fun have fun." Here's the thing, too, and I've been in that arena. It is a dump. Yes. And if you're playing, yeah, we are running late here, and I, I took this way too long, but we're going to talk about it some more. But I get my feeling is is that if you're if you play for the Warriors and as great as you are, and you know you're one of the all time great NBA franchises, and yet part of you is not getting the full superstar treatment. You know, you're playing in this shoebox, and if you go to this new arena in San Francisco. It's going to be, all right, here we are. Now, this is where a team like ours deserves to be type thing with all the accoutrements and the locker room that is, you know, just probably going to be jaw-dropping and Gilded. all these different things. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just that that to me is just a, a little thing. And I took us totally out of the playoff discussion about that, but we have still another hour left in the show, and we'll get back into it. I want to uh, break down some more of these uh, matchups, and I also have a surprise matchup or a uh, fantasy matchup I want to ask you about, Jonah, when it comes to uh, the playoffs. Who would win in a very specific matchup? And more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. This song goes out to my guys here in the studio today. Yeah. Carrying me. Anywho. And how come I keep thinking about her in all these sexual scenarios and stuff, huh? <laughs> Bobby is jotting down yeah. a time of that. That's going to end yep. up in a bumper. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. And... This is Tim Graham from The Athletic, Mike Rodak, ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein from Bronstein Incorporated, doing business as Jonah Bronstein. Bronstein Auctioneers. You ever seen those billboards around? No. They're local. Are yeah. you any, any well, that was my family, yeah. Oh. I, I don't think the company exists anymore. They don't have the billboards. like. What kind of auctioning would they do? Oh, like the, properties and things, yeah, or the whole, like, know, I can't really do it. The real fast talking yeah, thing, fast talking the whole really? deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just did. Do you think yeah, that yeah, yeah. one of them would be available for my Make a Wish? Uh, I don't know because it was kind of an older generation. If anybody's still around that actually did it, but I do have an uncle that apparently can kind of do the the talking. He might yeah. be able to come do a auctioneer impersonation. How many Bronstein families are there in Buffalo? There's another one where it's spelled differently. How? B R A U. 
Braun, oh, like Braun, like the yeah. shaver, like Ava Braun. Sorry, bad reference. There's only one LeBron Steen, though. That's right. I know that's how I find you on Twitter. There's two. Uh, Yeah, it wouldn't really work as well if your name was B R A U and you made it LeBron. I mean, it wouldn't have gone with that. But it wouldn't be as smooth. Follow Jonah Bronstein on Twitter. It's a must follow for Western New York sports fans because no place, no other place can you get college sports information and scoops and analysis like you can from Jonah's feed because he has thoughts on it all and breaks news. He does. Breaks news ahead of the Buffalo News, 247, WGR, at LeBronstein, L-E-B-R-O-N-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm glad you brought up colleges because... Have we introduced our next guest yet? No, he's waiting, and I'm waiting for you to shut up. But I'd wanted to say, maybe we can ask him about the Frozen Four and the lack of attendance. Maybe we will. If we and can he ever, seems like a if, great guy to ask. If we can ever get to him, Mike. I'll cede the floor to our good friend. On the phone with us is Joe Yurden of The Athletic, Sabres reporter, hockey guy. He, uh, look... It's been kind of slow in terms of news for the Sabres because coaching search time, Todd McClellan goes to the Kings, Joe Quenville goes to the Panthers, Elaine Vigneault goes to the... Don't point to me. Whatchamajigs. Where'd he go, Joe? Who, who now? There's so uh, many coaches. Elaine Vigneault. He went to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, that's right. Who, el- who else have they... I was going to say, that's probably for the best he wound up there, because I don't think that would have been a very good match in Buffalo. No, I don't think so. Where do things stand right now? Give us your handicap the situation for us. Well, I think if you were a betting person and you bet the field ahead of, uh, ahead of the coaching search, you're, you're probably cashing a winning ticket, although I don't know how many people would have been. My, been guy, my guy is still alive. Chris Who's Taylor. your guy? Chris Taylor is my guy. Lindy. Huh? I thought your guy was Lindy. No, I like Lindy because I'm familiar with him. But no, I my bet. Now, I, when I say my guy, I'm saying from a betting standpoint. I'm not saying like Chris Taylor and I are tight. But Chris Taylor was my bet. And the reason he's my bet, from purely a gambling standpoint, is I think that he is their back pocket safety that they'd be totally happy with backup plan. Now, they can go and explore all these other guys, and I think that's why they're not sweating out, losing out on Quenville, losing out on McClellan, whatever they are with Vigneault. I know we have a couple of Swedish candidates uh, that you're going to probably tell us about, Joe. But my thing is is that as all this unfolds, I think they know that they still have a really good candidate sitting there in Rochester waiting for a phone call. I 100% agree with that. And I think the interesting part of Rochester's first uh, first round playoff series with Toronto is that probably the guy coaching the Marlies is somebody who's, who should be on their list. I think Sheldon Keith is the guy that's that's got that rocket ride to stardom. Granted, you know, coaching a Toronto team that won a Calder Cup last year and just being a part of the Leafs system, anyways, is going to get you a lot of attention. But um, he's a guy that I would I would have on my list too. But I, I wonder about the dynamic of checking out other AHL coaches when. Yeah, you've got Chris Taylor, who's brought your farm team to the playoffs two years in a row, just right there waiting for you. A former player. Uh, he also fits the 
at least the stereotype anyway, of the guy who was the 4A player. You know, he, he was he was a, a super, super duper AHL player throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a very good NHL player because ne- could never really quite make that jump. And I think those guys, much like catchers in baseball, um, offensive linemen in football, I think that they learn the game because they learn the angles. They learn the tricks. They, they have to be so refined in their fundamentals and their approach to the game to get as far as, as they can and to survive for as long as they can. Nothing ever came easy to them. And so that, it, it fits the bill from at least a, a feel standpoint. It's kind of like when uh, Gretzky coached the Coyotes. Everybody figured, well, this will work out perfect. This guy, this guy knows hockey better than anybody. And it's like, well, he does. And that's probably why he couldn't coach it he couldn't teach people how to think hockey the way he did he can't explain it yeah like he's just he's like no why don't you just do this and it's like well you can do that we you know me some you know some kid out of out of uh tomico who you know doesn't have those natural skills i don't i can't do what you did gretz i'm sorry and i wonder if that's part of why phil housley things didn't work out where he was such a brilliant player and you know, he's had some success coaching high school and uh, world junior teams, but maybe it's just at the pro level, it was just like, no, man, sorry. It doesn't, it doesn't work the same way as, as, as you think it's working for you because you know what you're doing on the ice. You know, you got to try to teach us, and sometimes natural ability can't be taught. We're in conversation with the athletics' Joe Yurden. He covers hockey for uh, the website and uh, does a fantastic job with it. Uh, okay, there's some other names out there, Joe. Do you want to just maybe give any thoughts that you have in terms of where things are shaking out, uh, and maybe with some extra emphasis on these European coaches because they're names that the the fans really haven't learned about until recently. We don't really pay attention with what's going on over there. Um, we don't hear their names as much. What what are your uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I th- we touched on a couple of the AHL guys, but I do want to talk about uh, uh, Richard Gromborg, who is a coach out of Sweden. He coached the Swedish national team for for a few seasons, and you know brought them to different amounts of success uh, through through his time there. And um, he's interesting because he wants to coach in North America. He's he's been wanting to do that for a couple of years now. He he just uh, he's just finishing up his run with coaching Sweden. And I think it's his time to, to come over now. And, you know, John Vogel's written about uh, the Sabres' love of and infatuation with, with Swedish hockey and, and their systems and, and trying to bring that in. And obviously, that was the, the team's made up. I mean, there's, there's a lot of Sweden involved, not just at the Sabres level, but throughout, you know, their prospect base and in Rochester, too. So it's, it's interesting that 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 he's a guy that's out there and available and i i really have to wonder if they were if they're going to talk to him because i mean it just seems like a natural sort of thing to at least bring him in for a conversation for an extended conversation anyways just given you know you have Darlene, you have all these other guys out there you, know, you have Olsen, you've got Nylander, you know maybe he's the guy that can that can really get through to him and, and make it make it work at the nhl level but it would be a humongous risk for jason bottrell to do that i mean it's it's one where he's basically saying, you know, if we bring this guy in and it works, man, I look like a genius. If they bring him in and it and it crumbles horribly after a couple of seasons and and I get fired and well, it's been a, it's been a run. You know, it's it's one of those sorts of situations. And I, to me, I don't know. I, I've seen we've we've seen Sweden success internationally, and you have to wonder how that works out 
how that would translate to the NHL, especially with a with a room where it's not just all Swedes. You know, you're trying to you're trying to bring everybody under, you know, under that thought and and seeing how how that can translate to the NHL. I, I think given what Jason wants this team to do, it would make sense. But man, it would be I, I think just conventionally thinking, it would be a huge huge risk by him. It's a peculiar dynamic, really, Joe. Uh, the idea of a European coach in the National Hockey League, and it hasn't been tried since the Penguins uh, with Ivan Holinka back in the early 2000s, and it, to mixed degrees of success, and most of the problems were because Holinka didn't uh, speak English very well, but um, that likely wouldn't be the case with a coach coming from Sweden. But And the reason I find it peculiar is, especially a team like the Sabres, like you say, and as John Vogel has written, um, the Sabres are emphasizing the approach the, or the style of play and, and obviously drafting their players and holding them in high regard. And if these systems over in Sweden with their coaches and their general managers are producing such desirable players, then why the barrier of having them work with all the players? Yeah, I, I, it's it's such a it's such a different thing in Europe with with just how they do that. I mean, they still sure, play bigger on the ice, and of course, you're going to have players yeah. that have came up through the USHL or uh, the Western Hockey League or whatever, and they're going to wonder, well, what's with this style of hockey? I've never played this, and I don't believe it, or I don't understand it. I don't fit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of aspects to it. I I just hope that there's not a stereotype of we just don't want a European coach. Well, I'm I'm positive there are a lot of gms out there who who subscribe to the don cherry line of thinking where mm. uh, you know if you're not playing some version of rock'em sock'em hockey and not playing it the old school way and some some style of fashion that you're doing it wrong somebody and, you better have at least three guys well at least two guys on your team that put on the foil the what yeah you gotta put <laughs> yeah, on the they, foil is that like having sand in your pants or what's the sand in your game what's the waro had that saying the other day. Yeah, but he didn't say in your pants. It's just sand. Is it just sand? It's not like spending a day at the beach, Mike. Oh, well. Anyway, I have a question for Wait, Joe. Wait, are you telling me you don't know <laughs> the phrase putting on the foil? No, I'm not a hockey guy. Oh, my what? Lord. You've never oh, watched Mike Shot? Oh, my goodness. Nope. Wow. My question, though. What do you think this is going to do on social media for Joe, for Joe Yurden? I don't know. Or uh, for, I'm sorry, for Mike Rodak. Joe, I'm asking Joe the question. Joe, what do you think this is going? This revelation will mean for Mike Rodak. Boy, I, I, I'm I'm at a loss for this. It's just, I mean, I thought he was crooked before, but now he's just. I, I don't think I've ever watched a hawk. I don't think I've ever watched um, Mighty Ducks. Crooked Rodak. That Rodak. I've never watched Mighty Ducks either. But yeah, what about Youngblood? No, never. What about oh, uh, Mystery Alaska? Never heard of it. Yeah. Miracle? Why he had to watch? Actually, you know what? I have watched that. All right. So, well, but that's not that's very small redemption compared right. to the the other grievances that have been stacked up stacked up on top of each other. So, speaking of amateur hockey, like Miracle, what what about a college coach like Scott Sandlin from Duluth or Nate Lehman from my Friars or you know another one out yeah. there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a I had a very small list put together, and I didn't put Scott Sandlin on it because. Because uh, he's been at Duluth, for, he's been in Duluth in college hockey for 25 years. But the the exhibition the Bulldogs put put on this weekend and just mm-hmm. snuffing out everybody, I'm sure earned him 
uh, a talk with a few teams that, that have openings. They'd be hard-pressed not to believe that, especially given the success Barry Trotz's Islanders have had, playing a very similar sort of suffocating brand of hockey. Not that we need the NHL to go back to the old, you know, late 90s, early 2000s days of, of how to do things, but uh, Sandlin's been been awesome. And I mean, he was he was asked about... Um, you know, the the prospects of landing on pro radars now, I mean, probably should have been on them before, uh, but he envisions himself staying at Duluth, which, I mean, you know, hey, if somebody comes roaring, roaring up to your door with a $5 million a year contract or something, then your, you know, your ideas probably change. But, um, but he's, I, I, I'm, I'm still reticent to, to, to say that he would be a serious contender. I think he would make a tremendous co- uh, assistant coach to, to, um, to coach up that sort of style, but like, I don't know. I, I think a guy like Nate Lehman is, is definitely more on that trajectory. You know, he's, you know, he built up the union program to a point where they, you know, they went on to win a title without him uh, under Rick Bennett. And then he goes to Providence and pulled them out of, pulled them out of the muck that Tim, you know, Tim army and a few other guys had had them in and built them into a title winning team, in, you know, in 15 and, and now again, back in the frozen four. I think he's. I think he's a guy who's. He's. He's going to be a coach. He's going to be an NHL coach at some point. I. I just question when. But I mean, with Sandlin, I. You know, I, I think you have to have a conversation with him just to see what he thinks and how he feels. But I just, it'd be very hard for me to 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 pick him out. I, I know I threw Mel Pearson from Michigan on my list too, and he was, kind of in the same boat. But, you know, that that's somebody who Jason Bottrell had some history with going back to his time at Michigan. Um, but you know, Sandlin's a hot name right now. I mean, he's coaching the world junior team in 2020. Uh, I think Bob Mosco is in that same sort of boat, but he, he changed his job from St. Cloud to, uh, to coaching the Gophers. So that's a little bit different for a guy like that. But I, I think Sandlin's sort of in that Mosco boat, but he's made Duluth into a power now. So there, I don't see any reason to really change out unless the money talks. So on the subject of the Frozen Four, it came out this week, and I think it was pretty obvious to anybody who saw pictures from the arena or saw it on TV that the attendance was weak at Key Bank Arena um, last weekend or last week. And not only that, but the TV ratings I saw come out this week as well were low. I want to say the lowest that they've been in, in 10 or more years. So, look, like I, I've been in Buffalo six years. I... I, you know, I was in a college hockey market before that, I think is, is fair to say. I mean, I, I grew up around Providence and BU and BC when those teams were great. Um, and obviously Hockey East, you go right down the list of all the teams that are there. I don't get the sense that Buffalo is a college hockey market. And I don't, on top of that, I don't really think it's a college sports town either. I mean, it, there are so many stronger college sports towns in America. I think Buffalo is pretty far down on the list. Well, but the NCAA basketball does, does very do well. well, which is, which is strange. It, it's strange that that does well. And in, in the frozen four, which is at a, a higher level in terms of the tournament, it's the, the end of the tournament, it's the championship as opposed to the first rounds in basketball didn't really do well. So well, I wonder, and maybe let's just throw this in for the stew for Joe to right. give that's, a thought, but let me, point. but let me ask, let me throw in another layer right. onto this, to the whole conversation. What do you think, and maybe even lends itself to why the World Juniors did so poorly here, the fact that the Sabres have hockey fans in this town so pissed off. They've suffocated. How much do you think that that impacts whether or not they want right. to spend a couple of bucks even to watch different hockey? I, I think that has, I think that it'd be, you'd, be, you'd be pleading ignorant to say that that doesn't have an impact on it. I mean, you, you spend 
a lot of money all season long watching, you know, watching a hockey team that you actually care about and totally fail you so that by, you know, by the time the season's over, you're thinking like, well, thank God that's done. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you get the frozen four in here on the heels of that. And, you know, a lot of people spent a lot of time comparing it to the 2003, uh, frozen four. But I mean, that year you had Minnesota, you had Michigan, you had Cornell and was it Notre Dame? And the Sabres had the sixth overall pick and everybody was high. Everybody was talking about this yeah. kid from Minnesota here. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Sabres are going to get this Thomas Vanek kid. So you had a lot of Sabres fans that were ready to come out and watch their next superstar. Right. And, you know, this time around, the biggest, you know, the biggest name out there was Kale McCarr, who's a, who's a great, who's already showing you he's a great player. Uh, you know, he scores a goal for the Avalanche the other night. They, they, they get a big win in the playoffs, but I mean, he was already, he was already spoken for. And I, I, I know I saw a lot of Avalanche jerseys around the, the arena the, <laughs> the last, last couple of nights, but I mean, it was, you know, how many of those were Denver fans that were just like, well, our team's out, forget it. Or just, you know, just regular old abs fans that had a game to watch later that night or something. I mean, it's, you know, NHL fans are, are different in that they root for their team. They don't, they, you know, they're not out there to go watch other players for other teams because in their minds they're thinking, oh, he's not playing for us. We'll screw him. You know, who cares? You know, it, it's, it, it's a different sort of thing. And, you know, let's face it, teams, you know, UMass traveled, traveled pretty well. UMass fans came out pretty hard on Saturday. But, I mean, if you were going to get out of Duluth, I mean, you had a snowstorm to contend with. If you're going to fly out from Denver, flights aren't cheap from Denver to Buffalo. And, you know, from Providence, I mean, you can drive. It's a long drive. But, I mean, you know, that's, but that's how it goes. It was not, it's not easy to get to Buffalo, at least not without paying a lot of money. And, you know, these, these teams, you know, Providence doesn't bring a ton of people. Denver certainly doesn't. I've been to enough tournament games where Denver's been at, and the number of fans they have, it's, it's, it's puny. So, you know, unless you unless you're blessed with a frozen four that has a lot of schools with prestige that bring tons of people, you're probably gonna have a hard time getting those walk-ups or people just to buy a full session pass. Whether it's you know whether it's a hundred bucks for three games or three hundred bucks for three games, the way it was here. Is Thomas there... Vanek, just for the point of yes. correction, he was the fifth overall pick in two thousand and three. So, anyways, so you, even more right. A, more of a, I mean, the a only, focus a, that there was a good chance that they were going to get this guy. A lot of people knew that uh, Mark Andre Fleury was going to be the number one overall pick. I think the first two or three were set, and so, uh, anyways, right. And and obviously there was Jacob Bryson here, uh, the Sabres draft pick who just signed from Providence, who was mm-hmm. in there, but that not the same sort of right. ilk as as Vanek. But no. I guess I circle back to my original question: was is this a college hockey town, or is this a sign that, as Tim said, maybe? It's not as much of a hockey town as as we thought, or as it once was. Well, I, I would I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a college hockey town. I mean, Canisius and Niagara aren't aren't packing people out. I mean, they were they were able to draw pretty well at Harbor Center with RIT in the fold for for the Atlantic Hockey uh, semis and finals. Um, but I mean, those aren't schools that are that are going to bring you thousands upon thousands of fans. You know, just out of just out of natural. You know, love of college hockey. I mean, let me let me stop for a second, happening. Joe, because I want to, and this will set up a next segment. And I think, um, and we'll get into this, of course, with Jonah. And it's something that I've cared, but I'll get your thoughts here before we hit the break, Joe. I, I get a, I know that uh, we've talked about it before, and Mike has his very passionate thoughts on this as an outsider uh, in Western New York. Is Western New Yorkers much like any? region around the country are very proud about the things that they have that other people don't 
Mighty Taco, which I happen to think is a bit overrated, but it's really good. Uh, but it's, you know, everybody Sponge gets a little candy. crazy. Tim Hortons, before Tim Hortons expanded back 10 years ago when Wendy's bought it, and, it, you know, what Tim Hortons was way more parochial. Um, had the Braves stuck around and enjoyed the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson renaissance, then to Michael Jordan, I think that, I think I don't know how many people would be lamenting, oh, if only we still had the Sabres. Let's say that the Sabres moved out and the Braves were the dominant team in the odd and were still here. Um, but I that th- never would have happened because of the Knox family. But sorry, go well, ahead. I know, I know, okay. I know. The, the Knox family had, they were so dominant at the odd that they refused to give the Braves good dates and the, and the Braves had to leave. But let's say that it was flipped. I don't think, I think that, the hockey in um, fanaticism here in Western New York, a lot of it is based on the fact that it's our thing, and you don't understand, which is like part of the and which is good. It's what a community does, but I think that it wouldn't be that people would be sobbing over the loss of the Sabers if the Braves were playing eight, you know, forty-one home games right. in the in the downtown arena for the last thirty years instead of a hockey team. Uh, that's, I, I, I think that's a question that's, that, that probably goes a lot deeper into some other, into some other topics. I think that's cultural. I think that's, um, I know what you're saying, Joe, you know, I mean, you're picking up what I'm laying down (laughs) here, but, um, because I mean, you, you can make the, you can make an argument that the best player to play in Buffalo in the seventies was Bob McAdoo. I think you could make that. I think you can make that argument. You know, and which I know is going to come across as crazy compared to Gilbert Perot, but OJ um, Simpson, OJ Simpson too. Yeah, I mean, hey, friend of the show, friend of the show, (laughs) OJ Simpson. That's a pretty good threesome right there of your athletes, Bob McAdoo, OJ Simpson, and Gilbert Perot. They might have been MVPs all in the same year or in the same window of years. Yeah, I think one of them was like an all-star game MVP okay. and the other two were league MVPs or something along those lines, but OJ Simpson made that point to me when I interviewed him and I went and looked it up and it wasn't quite correct, but it was yeah, there is a there is a thing to be there is a thing, a trivia. Anyways, I'm sorry, Joe. But I mean, you know, you know, Mike, uh, Mike pointed out, you know, how the hell well the NCAA, you know, basketball tournament draws here and the only thing I could think of was like, well, did you fill out a bracket for the men's hockey tournament? No, right. <laughs> you know, are you filling out a bracket for the basketball tournament, no matter where it's played? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, that the basketball tournament is just such an overarching phenomenon. And if you get like one of those first, if you get the first two rounds of the tournament, people are going bananas over that. Even if you got like a regional final, people are going to go crazy for it. it. The fact that the national championship of hockey was here and people were just kind of like, eh, I think it says more about where college hockey is on the, the, the grand spectrum of things. I mean, hockey fans want to, you know, U.S. hockey fans. I shouldn't say all hockey fans because Canadian fans don't give a crap about college hockey. Um, but when it comes to the U.S., U.S. fans get pretty defensive about it, and they say, "They say no, college is just as good as the, the junior hockey. It's just as good as this. Uh, lots more NHL guys." Like, okay, okay, might be true, but like people still don't care. Like, it's just not on that profile level, and you know, it's a big deal to get a Frozen Four. But, I mean, it's going back to Detroit next year, and they're putting it at Little Caesars. The last time they had it there was 2010, and it was at Ford Field, and they had to scale that down. So, you know, you usually get really big ideas when it comes to having this tournament, but it just doesn't pan out. It just doesn't hit you. This just doesn't hit the regular fan in the in the face the way some of these other big college tournaments do. 
an extended segment with the Athletics' Joe Yurden. On short notice, no less. Joe, thanks for coming on, giving us your wisdom on the Sabres coaching search, filling us in on some of these candidates, and uh, Frozen Four Talk. I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely, Tim. Anytime, man. All right. Always happy. See you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for getting a new phone, Joe. No, same phone, same same crappy phone. Better thing. What was the issue? So he was on a couple weeks ago when I co-hosted for you, and it was terrible audio problems because he was calling us from a payphone. The payphone? <laughs> Those don't exist. Do they even exist anymore? <laughs> we saw. Uh, took my took my kids to see Captain Marvel over the weekend, and there's a scene where she rigs up a payphone. Uh, to uh, with some equipment from Radio Shack to do some sort of communication telecommunications to outer space, and my daughter had no idea what this payphone was. There's a payphone in the Sabres press box. I don't know if it dials out what? or not, but it's there. Yeah, Waro uses it. Well, it's got to be. <laughs> I used to use it because you can do 800 calls on it. But what? Yeah, but I think it's probably expensive to have those big things removed. What do you do with it? So we might as well just leave it where it is. Yeah, and just not pay for the phone. It's Build funny to see like a bank of them at an airport every now and then, and it looks like a museum. There's Build one in arena there's around. one in I think Washington D.C. where it's a combo of a bank of payphones, which has been there forever, yeah. and then the newspaper racks are all right there. So it's all like all the all, all the obsolete things wow. shoved right in the same area. Probably Reagan. Yeah. They're like, oh, newspapers I think it is. Uh, airports that yeah. dump. I was there last wow. week. All right. Joe Yurden, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, guys, Tim. All right. Talk to you soon. We come back. We'll get a little bit more into that, uh, the Braves versus Sabres discussion and what Buffalo might That's look like fascinating. today. We're going to talk about NBA playoffs again, and I'm going to give a fictional matchup for this year's for what would be this year's NBA playoffs the Monstars the, no these are two actual teams and I'd like to get a breakdown from Jonah Bronstein Trailblazers those, and Bucks all those things when we come back on the Tim Graham Show Sports Radio 1270 The Fan The Tim Graham Show, now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Thank you all for coming. I've traveled all across the fabric of space-time. We could do a podcast, and it would be a million times better than whatever that drivel was we were listening to. With how much of a how much of a hockey town would this still be? See, it's hard for me to say because I'm not really into the local hockey culture as much as basketball. I didn't grow up playing hockey, and I think that that's a big part of it. There's a there's a divide between basketball and hockey fans, I think, everywhere because they're two winter sports that go on at the same time, and it's very hard to grow up and be somebody that plays youth hockey and youth basketball or play hockey and basketball in high school and whatnot. So you kind of pick your path, your fork in the road there early on, whether you're a basketball player or a hockey player, and I think that has a big effect on whether you're a hockey fan or a basketball fan. Now, basketball has become – a much more popular sport through, you know, Bird and Magic and Michael Jordan in the 80s and the way it is now, the NBA. There's a lot of people that aren't basketball players that watch the game for an entertainment value where I don't think the NHL and hockey gets quite that much in non-hockey markets. 
So to answer your question, I th- yeah, if the Sabres left and the Braves stayed, there'd be a lot of people that would be lamenting the loss of the Sabres, and there might be a stronger college hockey presence here. Because the one thing I know is that when the Braves left, it really kind of burnt out the market for basketball for a long time. It hurt the colleges. It hurt, you know, back in the day, newspaper, the Buffalo News would put a lot of national stories in the paper, and there was a lot less NBA coverage from what I'm told in the 80s because people had a bitter taste in their mouth, specifically to the NBA, because the Braves were kind of stolen from Buffalo in a way. Some of it is the the ownership's fault, but the NBA kind of came in and and manipulated that situation. But I think that they left right before everything got really good and would have solidified the fanaticism of the sport. The NBA wasn't even close to the NBA. It was just five years later. When Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and you still have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, very prominent, uh, Dr. J. You know, of course, these players were still around for the Braves, but but all together. And then here comes Charles Barkley and Moses Mal- or um, Carl Malone and Michael Jordan, and you know, it's it was just had it held on for seven more years. I, Dominique Wilkins. I think that uh, I think that we'd be looking at a totally different sports landscape here in Western New York, uh, obviously. But I just wonder how different it would look. But I don't know if the market would have been able to support two teams. No, I think it's it's a one or the other. Yeah, and you know, teams left. Uh, I can't really remember. I think Kansas City had a team through part of the '80s. I think there's other cities that lost their team through the '80s, even after that kind of bird and magic boom. So it wasn't like every NBA franchise was completely solid financially after that. But it would have, you know, you're right. It would have been New nice. New Orleans moves to, although that was before. but Yeah, if they had another, I think it was around the same time. But the Kansas City Kings moved to Sacramento. In 75, the Baltimore Bullets moved in 73. Cincinnati Royals Well, the Baltimore Bullets just moved across the Potomac. Capital Bullets, you're right. Okay, I'm, I'm just trying to brush up my 70s That's, basketball history. Okay. And you want, you want I, I just don't see else? a no, scenario that's, that's basically it. where the Sabres ever would have left with the right. way the Knox family was. And I would assume this was always kind of a hockey market because of how close it was to Canada and the winter. And, you know, you can build a skating pond in your backyard if you want to. But it would have been interesting if the Braves had lasted through that kind of bird Magic Jordan era and were on better financial footing to see if. One, if Buffalo could have supported two winter sports teams at the same time, and two, if the basketball culture would have grown and how it would have affected UB. the popularity of college and high schools and things like that. That I think it's built up in recent years, but for a while it was pretty depressed around here in terms of just basketball as a whole. Yeah, some great players. Randy Smith, of course, uh, Bob McAdoo, Ernie DiGregorio. Adrian Dantley was a Boston Brave. Yeah, there were some superstars that but played for these teams. Just to play devil's advocate, though, the Bills have always been here since the 60s and 70s, and that hasn't helped high school or college football a darn in, in Buffalo. Right, Those actually, irrelevant. the Braves kind of – I didn't say they killed college basketball. The Braves hurt college basketball when they came in in 1970, and the longer they stayed, probably would have had an even worse effect. Like, if the Braves never came – I do think you would have seen one of either Canisius Niagara or St. Bonaventure join a major conference and become more of a national program. But when that was all going on in the late 70s, the Braves were here and had hurt 
the market for the colleges a few years prior to that. I would argue that Buffalo, among cities of a certain size, is probably among the worst college sports towns in America. Well, you have to compare, though, college towns that have Nothing pro teams. Else. True. I agree. Um, yeah, Columbus, but they have a hockey team, and that's it. Right. Um, uh, Nashville, yeah, they but they have Tennessee and all. Yeah, so it's it, it is different. Um, you know, it depends on if I think the NFL really does squash a lot of your college market, regardless of where you are, and that's why down in the South, where there are the very few NFL teams, I mean, in those areas like in Alabama or um, Northern Florida. And yes, there's Jackson, but you know those teams don't do all that well, like the Jaguars and Tampa Bay. They're, they'd rather follow the Florida Gators. Um, That's my point. Yeah, but it's not just the South. I feel like the Southwest. I mean, you have big schools like Arizona and Arizona State. Like I feel those are better college sports towns than Buffalo. I haven't. I don't know the upfront numbers on it, but those. I mean, they don't recruit well. I mean, Arizona State and Arizona do not compete for Pac-10 or Pac-12 titles. Uh, they generally happen in the in the places where there aren't other major sports overshadowing them. Right. Pittsburgh's the one I tend to look at. They have three pro teams and also pretty well support their college teams. Maybe not to the extent of Ohio State and some right. of these other ones, but they seem to draw big crowds Pitt, and have a fan Pitt base. is playing in an NFL stadium. Um, I mean, I don't know what Temple draws, but Temple plays in an NFL stadium in Philly. UB could never play it. I was gonna say the Ralph, but I mean, they could, and, and I think be Temple probably doesn't draw all that great. And let's let's take a look at real quickly. I'm doing it off the top of my head, and then we'll head to a break. But the schools in Texas, so of course Texas football is mammoth, the college level. But most of those schools aren't in cities where the, the they're not in Dallas. You know, Southern Methodist is in Dallas. Uh, I don't know, I'm sure exactly where Baylor is, but you know, Wake Houston. Up. Yeah, Baylor's in Waco. So uh, San Antonio, uh, where you have a basketball team, or um, of course Austin. Right. You know it's where Texas. the where the Longhorns play. There's no football team there. A and M so. is in College Station. Texas Tech is in Lubbock, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So even the even those schools are have a distance. They, there's yeah. elbow room in between uh, the college market or the college campuses and where the NFL or the big schools play, or the big big leagues play. All right. We come back. Uh, NBA playoff talk with Jonah Bronstein. I'm sure Mike Rodak will throw in his two cents. I'll try. Maybe Bobby Rosati will give us his thoughts on the uh, on the Knicks and their, oh. their in their future. I have plenty, plenty to say about that. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, the fan. The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste of time. Obviously, it's an entertaining thought to the people here in Buffalo and to everybody else around the country because it's stupid. Take more calls. You want to call in and talk about uh, and defend this or any other silliness? Taking your calls at 270-1270. Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270. The Fan.
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here with my co-host, Mike Rodak, ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein Firm is here, as is Bobby Rosati, producer that he is. Jonah, size up the rest of these basket hoops matchups. Well, as the ball goes through that ring, as Ted Cruz said in Indiana, infamously. You got? Can you find that? The ring, he called it. Everybody was like, oh. Guy can't even get a, especially in Indiana, he was doing a tour stop. Um, We have some competitive series where I think in the last few years, the first round hasn't been all that competitive. Although some of them are sort of looking like, you know, so San San Antonio is a seventh seed and they're up two games to zero over Denver, a two seed. So maybe that one's not competitive, but that, you know, it's a seventh seed winning the first two games on the road against a two-seed. Had some good games. I mean, Brooklyn shocked uh, Toronto in game one, not quite in game two. Or Brooklyn shot uh, Philadelphia, I'm sorry. And Toronto lost game one. Drawing a blank here. Toronto. I'm drawing a blank on Toronto, too. Orlando. Toronto, which, yeah. The, to uh, me, was the most shocking result of the first round. So, I, I think a lot of these series are going to end up with Toronto they don't play away. again until Friday night. It's kind of a weird schedule between Toronto and Orlando. That series tied at 1-1, and then they take three days yeah. off. And Toronto looking like maybe their best team, their best chance to get to the finals where they've been good for a few years, and they go and lose game one at home to Orlando, maybe the weakest team in the playoffs in terms of just their overall talent and experience. Let's stay on Toronto for a little bit. We have them, uh, we talk about them on the show a lot. We have Jack Armstrong on to break them down and uh, because they are so close, uh, maybe they're on our radar a little bit. At least they are mine, uh, and they are that. They're they're a a fascinating team to me in that they're always really good, and then they were they always came across LeBron James and just couldn't get over the hump. Now LeBron James is out of the conference, and things clear up for them. And they, the thing about the Raptors is they kept getting a little bit better every year, even when you thought, man, they. Had, if they can't do it this year, that you know, it's not, it just can't last forever. And yet they would still find a way to take a step without getting over the hump, if that makes any sense. Um, and here they are with an opportunity and they blow it. What's, uh, where do you think the Raptors are right now? Going into the playoffs, I thought they were maybe in a better spot than they've ever been. Now, they've always kind of looked good going into the playoffs and either not played well in the first round or, you know, in the last few years they've played well until they've gotten to playing Cleveland and LeBron James. Kawhi Leonard is a, obviously a better player, more of a star player than DeMar DeRozan was, and especially on defense. And just having him instead of DeMar DeRozan makes them better. But they've been playing better all year with a new coach, a little bit of a new system, although he, Nick Nurse, he was the assistant last year, and they were running that system last year as well offensively. They traded for Marc Gasol. They got a young player, Pascal Siakam, that's really emerged as you know, one of their better players and probably the most improved player in the league this year. Kyle Lowry was playing pretty well until he goes and scores zero points in game one of the playoffs. Amazing. And he's he's been a big issue for them. He's been with DeRozan, their best player, an all-star point guard for a few years now and has had a lot of bad games in the playoffs. And this just adds to that kind of narrative that he doesn't show up. But, you know, it's funny. He had zero points. 
And then if you look at the plus minus in the box score, he was a plus 11. So they weren't really getting beat when he was on the floor. They were getting beat when he was on the bench. Now, he makes a couple buckets. They win that game. So, But I think, and, and maybe Jack Armstrong, if we could have him on, would, would give us a closer analysis, having seen them every game. But this might be their best shot. And if they don't get to the finals this year, I think Kawhi Leonard leaves and they might start to not blow it up, but rebuild and, and go for another group, another core group to make a run in a few years. All right, Jonah Bronstein, here's the matchup I wanted to ask you about. Who wins this series? And if you can, break it down for me uh, in terms of matchups and maybe how you, uh, why you feel this way instead of just giving me a, okay, uh, you know, so-and-so in this many games. Sure. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the L.A. Lakers. LeBron versus his old team. Who wins that series? You're talking the current roster. Yes, this based on this season. Well, the Lakers are a better team when healthy. And LeBron James would make all the difference in that series. And the Cavs are really one of the worst teams in the league this year. Although they have a few young players that some hope for the future. But the Lakers... They were so raggedy all year. The Lakers. It, the Lakers, well, they were 20-14 and 14 going into Christmas and leading the Warriors when LeBron got hurt. Now, they didn't play great. They had some issues with shooting the ball and their roster makeup. All right, let's say LeBron's not healthy. He's as healthy as he was in February. So, so like the actual teams facing yes. each other? I still think the Lakers have more talent, but they're a little bit of a flawed team and kind of a younger team. That would be two of the the worst teams in the league playing against each I other. I think a lot of people would tune into yeah. that series, though, because of LeBron versus Cleveland. Yeah. And then maybe Kevin Love being the one older veteran all-star involved in either one of the rosters might make a difference in that series. But that would be just a terrible, terrible series. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd be fat. I'd watch it. They just happened to make it all the yeah. way through. I kind of miss LeBron in these playoffs. I was hoping Already? L.A. would make Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I was just watching curious. him carry teams by himself has always been kind of compelling, yeah. whether you root for him or against the them. The Lakers are always compelling. Yeah, right. and if they were the eighth seed playing against Golden State, that would be pretty fun to watch, yeah, although the Clippers yeah. have made it interesting. It was fun when LeBron wasn't 48 years old. I mean, you're, you're yeah. kind of nostalgic. But he's, a lot, he's a lot younger than you think year. he is. He's always been younger than anybody thinks he's he is. He's 34. Not, not old. He's old. All Richard of his averages Jefferson, this year were above his career. Richard averages. Jefferson, who played with LeBron, was on uh, Get Up this morning on ESPN and said that he's he's getting a little old, and I agreed with him. I think what what's happening with LeBron is not that the mileage has really caught up with him, but he's aware of his mileage and he paces himself and doesn't play and he defense has other all interests. the time. Very interesting to save himself for the playoffs. And this year, you know, there were no <laughs> playoffs help. to save himself for. But he's got Space Jam two to film, so save himself gonna, for that. Is he going to come out firing next year? I mean, he's LeBron Ven- James. Vendetta? He's going to be pretty good. I, it, but, like, Vendetta-type stuff, well, like, I mean, against everybody? Eh, he'll play. I yeah. don't think he can play a whole lot better. He, he may maybe play a little harder. And I think if he gets some veteran teammates that he feels like he can make a run with, we might see a little bit more focus from him. But LeBron had a good year. Oh, absolutely. He, he was injured, <laughs> and I don't think he really liked playing with some of the players that he had on his team this year. My thanks to Bobby Rosati for running the show, for doing a couple of things on the fly. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is that basketball ring here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. Oh, is it? What a dork. <laughs> that basketball ring. Speaking of dorks, my big thanks to uh, the big crook at Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. We're not going to have you next week. You're going to be in Bristol for a big I draft will. special. Our mock draft special next Tuesday night. That's how important... 
the people on this show are. They have to be in Bristol at ESPN for things yep. to be on television. Yep. That's Mike Rodak. Me and Barry Melrose. If he ever leaves, boy, I think fans are going to be, mm. they'll regret it. I think so. They'll re- they'll uh, they'll miss him when he's gone, if, if that ever happens. If it ever happens. They were missing him Monday. There were fans tweeting, where's Mike Rodak? Yeah. Writing about the first day of weightlifting. Right. That's right. They were pretty upset about that. <laughs> Good thing the Buffalo News, though, had their, their transcripts as the fan requested. Thanks to Jonah Bronstein, as always, handling Periscope, giving us his basketball talks, teaching us stuff. And thanks to Eric Wood of the What's Next with Eric Wood podcast. That's what he'll be known for, nothing else. I'm not even going to give him any other type of title or credentials. He's just the host of the What's Next with Eric Wood podcast. And to Joe Yurden of The Athletic. He covers hockey and uh, did a great job of talking to us about the Sabres coaching situation. (laughs) And thanks to everybody for listening, for putting up with our nonsense. We'll catch you next Wednesday on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and SportsRadio1270.com. Great spirits, easy conversation, and excellent food. Williamsville's Gathering Place, the Glen Park Tavern. On Main Street in the village of Williamsville. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. <laughs>